It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Today on Backroom Politics. It's a Snowmageddon episode of the best political talk show you've never heard of. Also, breaking news out of Richmond, Virginia. Former Governor Bob McDonald and his wife indicted on 14 counts. Chris Christie starts his second term under a gray cloud of controversy. The Sochi Olympics and Tom Cole and Tom Coburn's leaving Congress. What's happening? By the way, Jim Cantori, can't you go to Philadelphia? Leave us alone. This is Backroom Politics. Live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics. To join the discussion, you can call toll-free 1-877-662-3713. And now, the moderator of Backroom Politics, Justin Russell. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land in this snow-covered nation's capital. It's Tuesday. That means it's time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's time for Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, although remote, uh, it's lonely here in Shelley's Backroom today, but... Here, here's what we have. On, in order of calling in, he is the former, uh, he is the former uh, floor chief for Congressman Gerald R. Ford. He is the former vice president of government affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation. He is Bob Hines. Bob, wait a minute. I am uh, calling doing, in from uh, my snow drift covered house. You're, you're killing me, Bob. You're killing me. <laughs> Uh, next on the line, we, he is the former executive director of the uh, great Democratic Party of the great state of Maryland. He is longtime Washington insider, Carl Tubin. Hello, Carl. Hello, Justin. Carl. And hello, everybody out there in Snowland. Exactly. And finally on the phone, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing Washington's 2nd Congressional District. He is the Honorable Congressman Al Swift. Hello, Congressman. Hi, how are you today? Uh, thanks for joining us. And joining me here in studio, she is the former Obama appointee as general, as general counsel of the Maritime Administration. She is the former counsel for House Homeland Security Committee. She's the Honorable Denise Krepp. Hi, Denise. Hi, Justin. And we've got a snow-covered remote show, so bear with us. But right now we're dealing with breaking news. We're going to start off with uh, the news coming out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, for those of you who have listened to us before, you know that we've been following the situation with Governor Bob McDonald. However, Politico and, Politico and CNN are now reporting that former Virginia Governor Bob McDonald and his wife Maureen 
have been indicted in federal court on 14 counts of fraud, obstructing federal investigations, and conspiracy charges stemming from a situation where they were taking gifts from a political donor uh, during their tenure in the governor's mansion. Uh, Bob Hines, this is huge news for somebody a lot of people thought might have been a presidential contender in 2016 and a golden child uh, for the GOP out of Virginia. Yes, and it's a very uh, it's a very long fall down for Mr. McDonald. You know, a year a year and a half ago, he was seen as a potential uh, Republican nominee, at least for vice president, if not president. He had a very good record in his term as governor of the state, very popular, very highly regarded by his fellow governors around the country, and. Uh, Obviously, he has uh, gotten himself in a situation where, uh, and it's been discussed in uh, many uh, in newspapers over the last year, uh, and, and we've, I think, talked about it a little bit, but he's been uh, had some problems with a, a particular gentleman who has run a company in Virginia and uh, uh, a, 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 some kind of a uh, nutritional company, I think it is, that had drugs and uh, pharmaceuticals and whatnot and other health drugs. And apparently a man who's been very friendly with the governor and has made major gifts to him and uh, helped pay for his daughter's wedding, things like that. And it's all come out now, and it's all out in front. And I don't know. Uh, I can understand uh, some of the charges uh, that have been leveled about him as, you know, as far as taking gifts. But uh, some of the other charges, what did you mention, uh, Justin, uh, uh, something else well, we're like talking, that. Bob, we're, we're talking about conspiracy. We're talking about conspiracy. Yeah. We're talking about obstruction, uh, obstructing a federal investigation. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, even, that, about, that's, that's even worse. I mean, that sounds as though uh, he has been deliberately uh, trying to, uh, you know, instead of just keeping his mouth shut, he seems to have, have done something beyond uh, just accepting gifts. He's uh, tried to uh, hide some stuff and, uh, and, cause, and, and refuse to be helpful and uh, it, it does not look good for the governor or his wife. Uh, Denise Krepp, as a former uh, federal attorney with the U.S. Coast Guard, former JAG officer, I want to go down some of these things. You're talking about 14 counts that range from, according to Politico, CNN, and now AP. Uh, let's go down and look at conspiracy. What are we talking here with conspiracy? That's a serious, serious charge, but that's not the biggest of the charges, or is it? Justin, if you've got 14 charges, it means he was doing some very interesting things, and it means that they've got a very good case against him. So I hope he has some very good lawyers, and I hope that he's now beginning to work with the federal prosecutors, because when you've been accused of conspiracy, that means you've been, well, not behaving yourself. Okay. Uh, tell me, I mean, obstructing a federal investigation, that seems, that, that's just, you know, they weren't cooperating with the investigators during the tenure of the investigation, uh, felony, misdemeanor, are we, are, we, are we looking at all felonies here possible? You could be looking at anything and everything. And the question is going to be, what is he actually going to plead out on? I, I would imagine that he is going to be hiring some very smart attorneys, and they are going to be now working with the federal government about what they can plead down. But given those 14 counts and the range in which we've got him on, 
he's going to be convicted of something. It's just going to be a question of why. Congressman Al, you know, you've, you've been a, uh, an elected official before. You, you know, you have people who, who donate to your campaigns. Uh, you know, when, when we start talking about the situation here with uh, businessman Johnny Williams, who is the apparent subject of these, uh, these possible charges, and these alleged or these alleged crimes conducted by the former governor of Virginia, uh, Congressman Al, you know, it, you're always walking a fine line in dealing with some of these contributors. Some of them are friends of yours. They want to be generous. They want to be supportive. How do you balance that? Well, I don't think it's as difficult to balance it as it is sometimes difficult to explain to your constituents that you have balanced it. Uh, I, I will have to tell you, and I don't have any dislike for this governor. I thought he's been a pretty good governor for, for you know for a Democrat. Uh, I mean, uh, me being the Democrat, but uh, he's done some things which uh, I simply could not imagine how I would explain them if I'd ever done them. Uh, you know, gifts for my daughter, paying for my daughter's wedding, and flying around. Uh, I can remember once when I was invited for a, a strictly official look by another member to fly down just a little bit to, to uh, the coal country of uh, West Virginia to take a look at some problem he had there. And uh, he was trying to get a plane load to go. To go. And uh, I said, no, I something in the back of my neck said, I'm not going to do that. And sure enough, the Washington Post had a big story about congressman junketing to West Virginia and all the rest. Uh, so you got two things. One, I think he probably uh, got his hand in the cookie jar a little too deep and will have to pay for it. Uh, secondly, uh, even if... Even if he hadn't, it would be hard to explain, and that's the reason he shouldn't have done it. Uh, Denise Kraft. Well, and that's my question, is how did he manage to get his hand in the cookie jar this deeply? I mean, I've done ethics on both sides, both within the um, executive branch within the administration as well as on uh, Capitol Hill. And when you're accepting these types of gifts, usually you go to your lawyer and say, is this ethical? Can I do this? So my question is, who was he talking to, if anybody at all, about whether or not he should be doing this, and what advice was he being given about this? Well, Bob, you know, that, that's, that's a great point that Denise brings up is, you know, when we look at the governor of Virginia, we, we know for a fact that along with the fact that he's got uh, a very uh, conservative attorney general uh, in, in, at that time, Bob Cuccinelli, uh, but you've also got, and, and Cuccinelli had his own problems, but you also got the governor's, you know, general counsel inside the governor's mansion who's supposed to advise him on stuff like this, was, just, was this just a fall down of the protective inner circle of Bob McDonald, or was this Bob McDonald feeling like he may have been bulletproof? Uh, Justin, well, one thing that I think we haven't mentioned yet, and uh, it's something that has been uh, uh, a matter of discussion over the last seven or eight months at least, and that is that Virginia has currently a very uh, – uh, lax uh, laws with respect to political gifts and things of that nature. And it has, as a matter of fact, the governor himself has suggested that the laws need to be, uh, uh, need to be strengthened. But the fact of the matter is it, the system has been, in Virginia, has been very lackadaisical, very little uh, oversight, and it's, it 
probably, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes when the laws are very easy, uh, it's it's even easier just to even, you know, not pay attention to what you should be, what little criteria there are. But it clearly the governor has, who, as Al said, was a, a pretty d- darn good governor. Uh, he has he had a career that looked very promising a year and a half ago, as I said earlier, and now he is literally. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he will be convicted of of serious uh, serious uh, activities. Well, Bob, when you talk uh, about the government wanting to, oh, oh, Carl, hold on, hold on, Carl. Bob, I want to go back to you yep. and your comment. When you say that the governor wanted to implement in new ethics rules, are you talking about Bob McDonald or are you talking about the current governor Terry McCall? No, I'm saying that I'm saying that some time ago, when the uh, when some of the uh, the earlier reportage of uh, gifts going to McDonald, uh, one of the governor noted the governor noted, and in some of his one of his, one of his you know press conferences, that mm-hmm. he believed he was he was within the law, but he also indicated that it was also true that Virginia laws were were relatively lacks and there might well need to be some uh strengthening of the laws and i think that probably uh it, it's pretty sure right now that i would expect the legislature with the governor being indicted on 14 counts i would suspect that there will be some fairly shortly there will be some effort to strengthen the uh laws about gift giving to officials in virginia which uh which currently now are very very lax laws Carl Tobin, you had a thought? Yeah, my thought is, first of all, Bob took the words right out of my mouth because there's hardly any restrictions in the Virginia Codes on gifts. Uh, Terry McAuliffe made an announcement that nobody from his administration uh, will take gifts, period. Uh, And I'm sure that that, um, Governor McAuliffe will try to, to tighten up the laws. The other thing is, is that this could be uh, one of the governor's defenses, the fact that the laws are are so weak, and he he thought uh, they thought or whoever uh, that they were they were acting within the law in taking these uh, these gifts, even though <clears throat> to us they seem so outlandish and they are outlandish. Um, but, I, but I, Carl, I was I was I was Carl Carl Carl. Let me just jump in real quick. One of the things I want to point out though is. What we're talking about is when we talk about, you know, the taking the gifts and it was within the law, the reality is these aren't state, these aren't Commonwealth attorney charges. These are not charges coming from the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. These are U.S. Attorney federal charges coming against him, which means he didn't violate Commonwealth law. He violated federal law on this. Well, I, you know, again, I'm not familiar with the federal statutes on this, but I think that uh, he might have a case. Uh, to beat this, and uh, <clears throat> uh, in my mind, also he was one of the most outstanding governors that uh, Virginia's had, and, and one of the outstanding governors in the nation. And it's a darn shame that uh, this has happened to him. Denise Crap. Denise Crap. These are federal charges, but he acted in the state. I, I mean, my problem with the defense of well, you know, Virginia was more lax than everybody else was. What were you doing during the Abramoff scandal? Were you hiding under a rock? I mean, when it got so strict on the Hill, when Hill staffers couldn't even accept a cup of coffee from a lobbyist, 
why weren't the states looking at this going, geez, if the federal government's got this problem, what are the states doing? I mean, it's not like Virginia is, oh, I don't know, 3,000 miles from D.C. It's right on our border. Congressman Al, your thoughts? 3,000 miles from D.C. is Washington State, where we had rules against this kind of stuff decades ago. Uh, It doesn't take... It doesn't take uh, a lot of sense, I think, to figure out that without the rules, the kind of things that he did were wrong anyway. Uh, it just, it just common sense says you don't do that when you have a public trust. Well, Bob, and I agree, com- I agree completely with Al. I mean, the, the guy clearly did things that he should have known were wrong. And the fact that the fact that he he let it happen is just it's astonishing to me that someone who was uh, as successful as he was in politi- in his political career for over 20 years would uh, you know would let this would let himself get in a position where he would be in the kind of trouble that he is now for things that were just. He just, I mean, the idea of his daughter's wedding being paid for by this gentleman Williamson is, is just amazing. You, you can't well, make it up. And, and I don't, I don't think back. they do that in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can tell you right now, they don't do it in New Jersey. However, Congressman Al, I want to go back to you on this, because you know yeah. when we talk about when we talk about you know you're always going to have those close friends, some of them with money. Some of them are family friends from even long before you're elected. Uh, do you keep them at arm's length? I mean, because, I mean, let's be honest. You know, I have friends who have money who have offered to pay for many things for me as an individual citizen, but they can't do it as a congressman. Do you keep them at arm's length and say, look, I just can't do it. It's a new debt. Absolutely. And they understand. I mean, that's not a difficult thing to do at all. But how does this get sideways on somebody who is a really, what we thought, savvy politician who, for most accounts, throughout the majority of his term as governor, was squeaky clean? I, I have no idea. It is beyond my comprehension that somebody that is intelligent enough to have run the state as well as he has for four years is so damn dumb that he would get himself into this kind of a fix. Well, Bob, let me ask you. You know, the new governor of Virginia, Terry McCullough, he is not without some clouds hanging over his installation as governor down in Richmond. Does this send a message to Terry McCullough saying, hey, everybody, get your ducks in a row. We've got to be able to either address some of the lagging stuff that may be out there or be able to keep everybody at arm's length? Well, I think, I think the incoming governor, I guess he, well, the, the governor now, because he is the governor, I guess for about four days now, uh, has, uh, has said very clearly that he's going to, you know, uh, run a very tight, clean ship. Uh, it's, 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 it's an obvious statement to make, given the situation that's going on. But, uh, and uh, you're right, McAuliffe has, uh, has, has been a major fundraiser for the Clintons, for years, and uh, you know that business is always a little bit, uh, you know, shaky. I don't think I, there's never been any statement about him being doing anything that was inappropriate, that, that was illegal. 
but you know he's uh, he's been a he's been a fundraiser for a, at least over a decade and a half. Been very successful. Been a successful businessman, and uh, he's smart enough, I think, to say what he's done recently. And that is, we're going to be clean. We're going to be careful. We're going to, you know, and I suspect that he will probably, uh, you know, in his state of the state address, which I think will come up in the next week or so, will probably urge the legislature to strengthen the ethic laws dealing with this kinds of problems for all public officials. Congressman Al, you know, being being our award, our Emmy award-winning broadcaster, member of the media as part of the show, because let's face it, you're the only broadcaster as part of the show. When (laughs) when we look at when we look at the media coverage on this and the media coverage which is happening up in Trenton over Chris Christie's situation, uh, and we look at the grand scheme of all the GOP woes that have been happening over the past two to three weeks. Is the media driving some of this into a Democratic Party that is maybe looking to set their teeth in for 2014 and 2016, or is there substance to a lot of this? Let me let me say yes and no. The yes part is that uh, these uh, these things have happened and they are news and they are being reported and the media always over-reports things like this. On the other hand, no, in the sense that uh, these these are bound to be big stories no matter when they happen. It's just the unfortunate nature for the Republicans that you got two of them going on at the same time. Uh, I, I think the president has suffered some of that in the past as well. And uh, I... But, but let, let's. My guess is that six months from now we won't be talking about either of these things. Uh, so uh, I think it's too early to figure out how much damage this has done. Obviously, it's ruined the, the reputation of the sitting governor uh, and uh, the the new governor because he's got a little bit of a reputation uh, on this score. Had better be uh, really careful. But uh, I, I suspect we'll be talking about totally different things six months from now. Denise, you agree that this is going to be all said and done, this is old hat, in maybe six months? I think with regards to McDonald's, yes, it'll be over in six months. With regards to Chris Christie, Bowser's, there's been a lot of things that have been coming out over the past week, and if it continues to come out, it's not going to be over in six months. Well, we're going to talk about that in the next half hour. Don't go there, because we're going to have a big <laughs> debate about that here very shortly. However... Uh, Bob Hines, uh, this is obviously a, a death nail in the political career of what many thought would be the reinvention of an encompassing Republican Party, uh, somebody who was able to make bipartisan deals, somebody who was loved on both sides of the aisle down in Richmond. Uh, this is a big blow to the Republican national front, is it not? Well, it certainly it certainly removes from the political scene uh, a man who had a who was highly regarded uh, by both the public and the professionals, uh, professional politicians in both parties, as a very effective governor, a very talented guy, very smart guy, and uh, he's just uh, it's just all gone. It's just blown away. It's, he has he has no future in politics uh, in any public position, and it's unfortunate, but. Uh, it's uh, it, it's his own fault. 
Carl, from a state from a state Democratic Party standpoint, is this somewhat of a bittersweet moment for the Democrats down in Richmond? Yeah, it, it's 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 bittersweet. <clears throat> I think that I think that no one, including me, wants to see someone uh, be torn down like uh, has happened to uh, Bob McDonald. Uh, he ran a he ran a very tight ship. He got a lot of legislation through, especially in transportation, and uh, he'll, hopefully he'll be remembered for the things, the positive things that he did. Unfortunately, this puts a big um, um, screen, a big negative on on the whole thing. And uh, and, and finally, Congressman Al, when when you look at uh, when you look at Bob McDonald and all the things he's done, and obviously this is uh, going to wipe out all the good things that he's done, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you know Bob McDonald went out of the governor's mansion with a very high rating, even surrounding, uh, even surrounded by uh, questionable activities relating to this relationship with the uh, businessman. Is this a sign of future things to come? Are are we literally taking good people out of politics because they may have gotten a little bit of right or left of center because of the fact that they might have been involved with a relationship and now everything's political? Are we literally, I mean, because we can't find that many Boy Scouts to run for office. There again, yes and no. In the case of Bob McDonald, the things that he is accused of doing, if he did them, are almost so profoundly stupid that he should be he shouldn't be allowed to run anything, including uh, the local garbage trucks. I mean, that's just really dumb, and I don't think that we're being uh, overreactive at all to that. On the other hand, every time something like this happens and the voices for reform, reform start up, I begin to quake a little bit because. You know, Congress either underdoes it or overdoes it. Legislative bodies either overdo it or underdo it. And uh, I think that uh, probably Virginia will will end up overdoing it a bit. Uh, Politicians are not Boy Scouts. They are not supposed to be Boy Scouts. Uh, And there needs to be a little leeway. Uh, But uh, doing what the governor did is beyond the pale. Denise Krupp? I disagree with Congressman Al. I mean, Go ahead, Denise. Everyone has got a problem in their life. It may be small, it may be big. It's how you deal with those problems. And the way in which the governor dealt with what he did, especially with his daughter's wedding and letting somebody pay for it, was just incredible lack of political savvy. And so because of that, and again, because of what he did, he is going to be tarnished. And others are going to be come in and say, you know, Will I do the same thing? Probably not, because I've learned what you know not to do. And others are going to come in and say, this is how I'm going to change it. And they will probably go overboard, like the congressman said. But we've got to have people in office who are politically savvy. Do I expect them to be Boy Scouts? No. But do I want them to be politically savvy and know how to do things right? Yes. Well, with that, I want to let that be the last word. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the ever-expanding gray cloud that hovers over the governor's mansion in Trenton, New Jersey, and Chris Christie's administration. We've got the lieutenant governor, Guayadarno, now involved in political bullying as its own. We even have an Olympic gold medalist saying that he was bullied. Good Lord, people, let it go. 
This is Backroom Politics, live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, for those who listen to Backroom Politics and know about Shelley's Backroom, they think of it as some sort of cigar bar where politicians go to smoke their cigars and drink their martinis. Actually, what you don't know about Shelly's Back Room, Shelly's Back Room has one of the greatest menus in the city. I kid you not. You've got the campfire wings, famous campfire wings, one pound of roasted, not fried, seasoned marinated jumbo chicken rings served with their own special honey mustard sauce. Folks, if you like chicken wings, you've never had the campfire wings. Best wings in the city, bar none, I guarantee. If you don't like it, Al, you can call us up and tell us that you don't like it. Uh, You have daily specials. Come down on a day when they have the Justin Chicken Sandwich. The sandwich named after me. Breaded chicken breast, provolone cheese, thick-cut bacon on a Kaiser roll served with a honey mustard sauce. Folks, it doesn't get more artery-clogging than that, but it is worth it. Come down to Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the premier sponsor of Backroom Politics. And we're back live here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, joining me as they do every Tuesday, although remotely, is uh, Bob Carl, Congressman Al. In studio here, we have uh, Denise Krepp with me. Uh, hey, you know, we're going to talk about, since we were talking about governors and political crap storms, let's talk about the big political crap storm that's happening up in Trenton. Uh, today... Uh, Governor Chris Christie was sworn in for his uh, second term as the governor of the Garden State, great state of New Jersey. And during this time, uh, 
Chris Christie talked about in his, in his uh, inaugural address uh, for the second time, uh, didn't talk about Bridgegate or FEMAgate or Sandygate or whatever they're calling it today, but according to Politico, uh, he, he, did, he did make a statement and he made a pledge to, quote, make the hard decisions to raise the uncomfortable topics to require responsibility and accountability to be willing to stand hard when principles are being violated and to be willing to compromise to find common ground with all of our people. This coming after new allegations against the Lieutenant Governor, Guayadarno, also a Republican, uh, and largely viewed as, uh, as Governor Chris Christie's chief undercover uh, enforcer. Uh, she is no political baby herself, but now the talk is, is that the FEMA grants and the, eight, and the, and the uh, uh, HUD grants that came after Hurricane Sandy, the relief money was being, quote, held hostage, as many media uh, outlets have said, by the governor's mansion. Uh, number one, Congressman Al, I'm going to go to you. Uh, you've heard a lot of this stuff. You've heard about everybody now crying political retaliation, political retaliation, are these people just naive, Congressman Al, or is there literally something to this political retaliation story? Well, we're talking New Jersey, and uh, and I'm, I know you're prepared to defend the honor of, of your state, uh, so I expect that. But uh, I, I suspect everything you say is true on both sides of the other. I think that the uh, governor... Uh, I, I mentioned this in our program before. It's my observation that staff of elected uh, officials tends to reflect the style of the official, and that uh, someone got a little out of hand and uh, did the bully boy routine and uh, said, you know, if you don't do this, we won't give you that. Uh, that doesn't seem uh, out of uh, out, out of uh, the question t- to me, given we're in, we're talking New Jersey. Um, but the fact that the Democrats have jumped on it and will jump up and down on it and make a big noise about it for as long as they possibly can also is no surprise. But uh, I don't think that is uh, that th- th- their comments are what one should base their own judgments on. Well, Bob Hines, you know. We talk about the environment and the, and the environment of bullying that's there in Trenton. I mean, let's be honest. Bob, you've been around this town as long as anybody. I mean, we heard stories, you know, as, as, as kind of gosh darn it and lovable as Ronald Reagan was, people who worked for him say he was a beast to work for, and he had his own way of doing things, and he had uh, kind of a, a, a bullish way. We haven't even talked about the Democrat that was LBJ, and his ability to roughhouse politicians, why all of a sudden now are we so naive that, hey, you know, when you play in politics, you've got to have thick skin? Well, you know, Justin, the uh, political reporters have got to have stuff to write about. And the Congress hasn't been doing very much. And you can only write so many stories saying Congress ain't doing very much. And so it's easy uh, when you find something that looks like a you know, a hot little item to, uh, you know, maybe uh, blow it up more, more than it uh, is, is really uh, is significant. Uh, 
in, in the in the in the practical structure of, of going forward. I mean, it's not that surprising that presidents are strong-minded people. It, you you don't get elected president by being namby-pamby and standing back in the corner and waiting for somebody to shine the light on you and then waltz you out to the to the dance floor. You've got to go push your way through there and get out there and do it. And uh, the reality is that's a lot, that's how most politicians are. No matter how much they hide it, they are not. They are somewhat assertive, and that's nothing wrong with it. Carl Tobin, you you were the executive director of the Democratic Party of Maryland back in the day. Back when you had cities like Baltimore, uh, Frederick being run by big political Democratic machines back in the day. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was the daughter of the big political boss of the Democratic Party around the time you were. ED, uh, why all of a sudden are we surprised that, hey, you know, you're going to back my guy. Well, we're not going to back him. Well, then, you know what, get to the back of the line. Why are we surprised by this, Carl? Well, you know, I think, in my mind, politics has changed a lot. Uh, the mayor, the Mayor D'Alessandro was a former mayor at the time I was uh, executive director. He had just run for the Senate uh, on a ticket with, with uh Governor Tawes, and everyone won but him, and he was gone ang- angry about that. He thought he had he he it was owed, almost owed to him to to be the United States Senator that year. Um, he uh, uh, things have changed. Maryland tightened up its laws uh, uh, on uh, political money and 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 gifts and and all that uh, because of uh, successive uh, uh, governors who got in trouble. Um, Governor uh, Mandel got in trouble, and then he was exonerated. Uh, Governor Agnew, Vice President Agnew, got in trouble uh, for taking money, and, and a lot of that has been been tightened up. But here you have a situation, and, you know, I got yelled at last week because I brought up the bullying situation. But now you've got, you've got at least two situations, if not more, of bullying. You've got the latest the mayor coming out and said that, you know, she was told by the lieutenant governor, you know, I really don't want to have this conversation, and and this isn't right. But blah 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 blah. You got to use uh, uh, the the builder that the governor wants to, you to use, and then <clears throat> so so you've got that situation. Then you have a, a cabinet member calling this mayor, and and you know, kind of underlining the fact that this had to be done. Now, by the I way, brought up by the way, point about other excuse me one minute. Excuse me one minute. I brought up the bullying because I think that's good. I thought at that time and before that this is going to come out and be a central part of this situation, and I think it has. But, Carl, Carl, let's not be naive about this. I mean, you come from a state where, and, and, and I'm not pointing out your state. I mean, you know, you, you could insert Louisiana. You could insert Florida. You could insert California. I mean, hell, New York has made an art form of it. Massachusetts started it. When we look at this, Carl, you cannot tell me that political retaliation is all of a sudden something brand new in the, in the scope and that politics has changed so much that the old school way of doing it is now all of a sudden a, 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 an anomaly. I'm not saying that it's brand new. I'm saying that some states have laws that, that 
protect uh, people from this kind of a, kind of activity. Uh, New Jersey evidently doesn't. New Jersey, as you as you well stated, Frank Haig and others have a um, uh, have a, a reputation for doing bad things, going to jail, etc. Um, you know, uh, Illinois had the same problem. I mean, there are a lot of states that have the same problem, but that doesn't make it right at this point. And if, if somebody wants, if somebody wants to be president of the United States, uh, I don't think this is this is the kind of activity that he wants uh, on his record, and he has it. Let me add Congressman to, to that. The fact is that I don't think it is these uh, ethical violations that are usually the public receives them as, well, ah, they all do it, and it doesn't get a big deal. What the governor's in trouble with is for locking up thousands and thousands of automobile passengers for four days. That's what made the difference, and that's what made people angry. You wouldn't even be hearing about all these other things had, he not, had, had his people not closed those lanes. That brings up a good point, Denise Krupp. I mean, you're talking I mean, we heard today now that former Olympic gold medal sprinter uh, Carl Lewis, who was going to run as a Democrat, but was also seeking to be part of an honorary ambassadorship under the Christie administration, was told, look, if you're going to run as a, as a Democrat, you know, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to take care of you and your guys. So does that surprise you? No. So why is this a story? Because of what the congressman just said, of what he did with that bridge. The fact that you hold up people in traffic like that, this isn't a one-off, this isn't me being nasty to a mayor, this isn't me being nasty to a council member, this is me holding thousands of people hostage on a bridge because I'm pissed off at a mayor. This impacted a heck of a lot more people directly. Well, you're, you're implicating, but your, your implication is, is that Christie knew about this. You're saying he did? Justin, I think that there's going to be a lot of digging. And I can tell you, as somebody who has managed both as a chief counsel and managed in an executive position, it's hard for me to believe that they did not know or that it did not go farther than what people are saying. Because what, what, you can, what you do as a manager is say, when did this happen and how did this happen? And by the way, if he didn't do that, then shame on him for not doing that, because that was the first thing he should have done. Bob Hines, you agree? Yes. You do? I do. <laughs> I'm shocked by so this. So do I. <laughs> I am sh- I'm shocked by this. What, what, well, so what, am I. Your, <laughs> I. I'm shocked that you're agreeing with what Denise is saying. Now, first, I think it makes it makes sense to me, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, you know this kind of Go stuff. Go back to Harry Truman. The buck stops goes here, to, whether goes it's so fair or not. So far back, you can't imagine it. We can't even yeah. begin to talk about it. I mean, it's it's uh, it we it comes up. It probably comes up and becomes more visible now than it might have been uh, 75 years ago, because there are so there are so many more ways for it to leak out and uh, so many more uh, places to publish and, 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 ex- and expand on it. Uh, but this kind, of, this kind of activity is not new to politics. It never is going to be new to politics. It's always going to be there. You can, uh, you can try to clean it up. You can try to stop it. But people will always 
uh, eventually uh, get lackadaisical in their in their ethics, and uh, things will go bad. It happens. Period. It happens. Congressman Al. I I, I agree. Uh, I I wish that you could get the public to focus on some of these dull but important reforms. Uh, the fact is that uh, that they they don't. Uh, it's, it's too much inside uh, baseball for for the average uh, American to want to pay much attention to, and uh, so uh, people get away with with murder until they do something really outrageous, and then everybody gets all upset and says, "Why don't you do something about it?" And usually the Congress goes out and does more than they should, and uh, we live with that for a while. Denise Krupp? Well, just this happens. I mean, I, I've seen it happen both in the executive branch and in the legislative branch. You had, it, if you're put in a position of power and you have everybody telling you how wonderful you are and you have everybody telling you how great things are and how you're making the smartest decisions in the world, at some point in time you're going to believe them and you're going to say, well, everything I do is correct. <laughs> and if somebody says, no, it's not, you're going to say, well, obviously you must be wrong because 99.99% of everybody else is telling me that I'm wonderful. And so if you are living in that type of a bubble, then you're going to make some very dumb decisions. And it's incumbent on these politicians and others to say, hey, wait a second, I shouldn't be surrounding myself with these people, and maybe a couple of times I should be coming down to reality. And it, it's incumbent on them to bring themselves back but, down. You know, here's, here's what gets me is, as somebody who's been around the federal government for 25, almost 26 years now, as somebody who has been around politics at the, at the local, state, and national level, for almost 20 years now, it strikes me as odd, and I've never seen anything like this. And and by the way, I'll tell you right now, I have been, you know, on the back end of political retaliation. You know, you go to a place like Florida, and a friend of yours who's a Democrat is running against somebody with the last name of Bush. You're a noted Republican. You donate to a Democratic friend of yours just a small check, and that gets back on the rolls you're going to feel the heat from the party. and it. But there, there's no talk of that. I didn't get any press in the Orlando Sentinel or the Miami Herald or any, you know, the Daytona Beach Journal. We didn't hear any of that. But now we've got leading news. It seems to me that there's a certain naivete in not only the media, but in the general public that this does not happen. Am I, am I being naive here, Bob Hines? Yes, Bob, Justin, can I, I think can maybe I, can you I just, are. <laughs> can I just step in? Thousands and thousands and thousands of drivers being halted for two, four days. That's what you're overlooking. That is not typical, and it is not something that uh, the public is going to miss. Bob Hines, I want to go back to Bob Hines. Carl, hold on. I want to go back to Bob Hines thinking I'm naive. <laughs> No, I don't think you're naive. But the practical, <laughs> look, you know, you can see, you know, you have a big stink, let's say, and everybody says, oh, my God, it's terrible. Everybody rushes around trying to clean things up, and it, things get cleaned up, and then things go forward again and again, and, you know, and over, the, over time, people forget, forget the last big scandal and how it hurt the person who, you know, got hurt, and they just, it won't happen to me. I can get past it. You know, this is not the same thing. 
and uh, it happens. And then people just get all surprised again and, and say, oh, my God, we got a bad problem. we got to clean up. And it's the, the process starts over again. Carl Tubin, you want to comment? Yeah, I want to comment. You you had mentioned in the last half hour about is the press doing this only to to uh, to Republicans? And but there there are groups out there that don't like Hillary Clinton, and they're trying to gin up as much as they can uh, uh, about her, whether it be Benghazi or the enemies list in a book that she's coming out with, or anything that they can get. So, you know, the press seizes on that, and it's a story for, for two or three weeks, and then it stops, and maybe it picks up again. And, and you know, it's, it's, everybody, both sides are vulnerable. And, and if, you're, if you're an upfront candidate, if you're an upfront candidate, you're more vulnerable. But, but Carl, going back to the idea about uh, Hillary Clinton, let's talk about Hillary Clinton for a second. It seems that, you know, with the ongoing fight, and, and right or wrong, uh, you, know, was, you know, is Hillary Clinton the reason why Benghazi happened? Is Hillary Clinton the reason why uh, four dedicated Americans died that day in September in Libya? I don't think... I don't think she was personally the cause of it. Does she have some culpability? I guess we'll find out. But we don't see the media driving that home where we had a seated ambassador killed. It almost, from a Republican standpoint, seems like maybe the media is a lot more protective of Hillary Clinton than they would be of a, in this case, Chris Christie. Oh, hogwash. I don't think so. I, I I I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think I think um, I think unfortunately, because he seemed like a very very good governor and got a lot done in his first term. Although I disagree with the way he did it with uh, the teachers union and education and things things that he did his record. But you know, they have blasted Hillary a lot since she since she resigned. Not resigned, but since she left the State Department, and uh, a lot, of, a lot has been written about Hillary, negative about Hillary, and and you know, I, I think that the press is going back and forth. You know, well, not only that, but that happened some time ago, and and what I said is we're not going to be talking about this, nor is the press going to be talking about this, with regard to. Uh, uh, the governor of, of, of New Jersey, um, five, six months from now, if nothing else happens. Uh, the Republicans are trying very hard to stir up the Benghazi thing, but you, you don't see a lot of people taking the bait. Well, Congressman, let, let me jump in on this, though. Let me ask you this question. The question yeah. then becomes, because... You know, when you look at Benghazi, uh, one would argue that the conservative journalistic arenas, i.e., uh, you know, i.e., um, Fox News, um, right. i.e., Daily Caller, when you look at them and they're bringing up Benghazi, 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 it seems like they're going after the the presumed front runner. In Hillary Clinton for the Democratic ticket in 2016, 
could one make the assumption that the Democrats feel that Chris Christie is the presumptive front runner on a GOP ticket in 2016, and this is the reason why there's a lot of dedicated media d- devoted to it? I would, I would think that would be uh, a, a fair assumption. Uh, the Democrats are going to make as much out of it as, as they can. Now, the big trick is, do you know when to drop that? When, when has that dog died? And you've got to keep kicking the carcass around. Uh, and I think uh, the Republicans are still kicking the dead carcass of Benghazi around, and uh, the Democrats uh, have still got a little life left in the dog that has to do with the New Jersey Bridge. Bob Hines? I think Al said it very well. Carl Tubin, you had a thought. Yeah, he is is possibly the presumed fundraiser, but we all know that he has a lot lot to do uh, in reaching out to conservatives and others uh, who might not like the fact, even before this, that he might be the party standard bearer. I mean, you've got a lot of a lot of conservatives in the Republican Party who who might not like the fact that he that he's so far out front at this point. Interesting. Now, when Denise Krupp, when when we talk about uh, the situation, you and I were talking beforehand uh, the situation with the Lieutenant Governor Kim Guadagnino mm-hmm. and uh, Mayor Zimmer, uh, Mayor Zimmerman, who is the mayor of Hoboken. Uh, there's this whole idea that they were holding uh, FEMA money and relief money hostage uh, as political fodder. Uh, you and I disagree with this. You think that this was political uh, backroom ship uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on the part of, let's call it what it is, uh, the governor's mansion in Trenton and the mayorships in some of the Bergen County right. municipalities. You think that it was held hostage. What I think is that the governors play a large role in deciding how money is distributed, both state and federal money. And if Christie wanted to make a point, then Christie could make a point. I tend to disagree. I I think that, you know, you're talking about two of what could be the most powerful governor's mansions in the country in Albany and Governor Cuomo, and uh, Trenton and Governor Christie, why are we not hearing the same thing? I mean, are, are we being naive in the idea that maybe Governor Cuomo didn't do the same thing out of Albany that uh, is being alleged out of Trenton? I have no idea. I just know that there is a mayor that has come forward that has made statements. And if, given the statements that she has made, there are going to be a lot of people asking questions about those statements. Bob, I'm going to go to you. It, it seems to me that I think they're giving the governor's mansion way too much uh, power in how federal money is distributed after a storm and one that's being regulated by an organization under cru- close scrutiny like FEMA. Well, I don't know. I don't know, Justin, how you would decide if you didn't give it. To, you know, without regard to whether the, it's the, your, the president's party is in the gov- has the governorship or it does not, you're still the governor is the appropriate person, is the chief executive of the state, to be the one to, to be clearly involved in how the money is dis- distributed and take and take responsibility for it. I don't see how else you do it. 
I don't know. You want to? But you know, you, you get you can get awfully bureaucratic and stupid. You have to move. You know, you need money fast when you have a problem, and money comes in. How, you're not going to have a committee deciding. You're going to have one guy or gal, the governor, and the governor is going to make that decision, and that's appropriate. And I see no reason why. It's a natural political way to do business. You hope the governor does a good job, but if he or she doesn't do a good job, well, maybe they won't get elected again. So what? That's the way it ought to work. Seems to me the best way to do it. But you see, to me, as being around that emergency management and emergency relief community as long as I've been, you know, these are monies that go directly from, these are people that literally have to apply to FEMA. They have to get the grants appropriated by FEMA, or in this case, after Sandy, uh, Sean Donovan's organization at uh, Housing and Urban Development over at HUD, uh, the money is distributed out of HUD and appropriated to what is deemed by the regional response teams at FEMA, in this case, the group out of New York, they take a look at it and they say, okay, you know what? Well, we've got Worsted here in uh, Ocean Township. Uh, we also have a huge problem in the Rockaways in New York. This is about as apolitical, in my opinion, as it should and does get. Am I being naive in saying that there's no uh, somewhat... Uh, it might be naive that there are no phone calls moving into some of the appropriations on this. Of course not. I know that the governor is going to have uh, some ability to give him his quote-unquote priority list. But to say that the governor has the ability to hold federal money hostage, I think is giving too much credit uh, to the power of either Chris Christie or Governor Cuomo. Well, Justin, maybe he didn't have that power, but the mayors didn't know it. <laughs> and they still could have been uh, intimidated with the kinds of phone calls they got. And this is where this is going to get interesting. If they're doing an investigation on this, and it sounds like the feds are doing part of this investigation, they're going to start asking about phone calls. So it's not just Christie's folks that are going to be answering questions. But it could also be FEMA, and it also could be a bigger into the DHS, into the White House. I mean, people are going to be asked questions. When did those phone calls happen? When did those conversations occur? And what were said in these conversations? So there's going to be a lot of explaining that's going to have to go occur within the state, but also within the federal government now. But, but Denise, I want to go back to you and, and ask you the same question I asked earlier. Do you think if they do dig in on this, Will they dig in on Cuomo? Will they dig in on Connecticut? Will they dig in in Maryland? A lot of it's going to be based off of what they find us. I mean, right now, you only have... But we don't hear of anybody going after Governor Cuomo anymore. They have to go after, now that there have been allegations being made by a New Jersey mayor, if there are allegations that are being made by a New New York mayor or by a Connecticut mayor, that's when they're going to go in and look. There isn't any smoke in New York. I mean, there there was some smoke in New Jersey, and they sent out the fire department. There's no smoke in New York. Should they send out the fire department anyway? (laughs) Justin, there's another aspect of this. The money that the – part of the money that the mayor was talking about was uh, things to insulate against floods and and, uh, protect her city from future floods and things like that now. That might that might have been money that 
comes from the state. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if FEMA gives out that kind of money at this point. But uh, there was there was a lot of different things uh, that that she talked about about you know not getting not getting the money. Right. Well, we're obviously going to be keeping an eye on this, and it's it's obviously not going to go away soon if CNN and MSNBC and, and the news networks have anything to do with it. But when we come back, we are going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about a situation, uh, the Olympic Homeland Security situation. Uh, we've got several members of Congress that are talking about uh, they wouldn't go, including Independent uh, Senator Bernie Sanders saying. He would not go, nor would he send his family to Sochi to see the Olympics. We're going to talk about the politics around the Olympics here when we come back. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331. In the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., we'll be back in four minutes. Stay with us. You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics premier sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelley's Backroom that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift. Wine selection, scotch selection that will blow your mind. They've got Highland scotches. They've got Highland Sky scotches blended, single malt, anything you want port wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor down here at Shelley's back room 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital Washington DC come on down have a drink and make some new friends or heck just come on down and listen to backroom politics on Tuesdays time. 
that one more once. And we're back here live in Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., on a very snowy Tuesday. Uh, it's, the top of our se- it's the top of our second hour. It means 5 o'clock. It's time for our happy hour, which means that at least Denise and I are ordering drinks. I don't know what y'all clowns are doing out there in the snow land out there. But uh, we're going to start up the top of the hour with uh, some of the stories coming out of Russia and Sochi. Uh, as many of you all know, the 2014 Winter Olympic Games begin in a couple of weeks out in Sochi, Russia. The president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, has spent literally billions of dollars securing the rights to and getting prepared for and what we're going to talk about now, getting security in place to protect the Olympic Games in Sochi where the worlds come together and engage in sports like luge and bobsledding and ice hockey and Nordic cross-country skiing. But the big news coming out of Sochi isn't that, unfortunately, Lindsey Vaughn is not going to be skiing, Uh, not the fact that uh, we're not going to see Apollo Ono except on NBC, but is there going to be a secure and safe Olympic Games in Sochi, Russia, or as independent... Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders says there's a serious problem. Let's start with the 50,000-foot level and talk about why are we so concerned about the safety and security at the Olympics. Bob, let me start with you. Knowing what you know, why are we why are we hearing what we're hearing now, and why is this a concern for Congress? Well, I think maybe you might. We want to think about it this way. If you look at the if you look at the map of of Russia and the Middle East, Sochi is all the way down at the end, just north of of the Middle East, which is fomenting now with uh, the you know all civil wars half and half the countries out there, with Al Qaeda's and uh, other groups and uh, different re- focus groups fighting each other. Everybody's mad at everybody else down there and killing people, and apparently. Um, and so it's it's not as though we're talking about up in Moscow. We're talking we're talking a thousand miles south practically, and uh, uh, right in right near Dagestan, where the people who 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 blew up the you know who did the uh, the the uh, damage at the uh, Boston Marathon last year came from. Right. And Chech- Chechnya, which has been fighting for months and years with the Russians. And you know it's a it's a it's a wild west operation down there, even in right next to the, the southernmost city of Russia. I mean, Sochi is literally within a hundred miles of all this. What I'm talking about, it's a very dangerous piece of the world. Now, to bring something as public and as internationally interesting 
and watched by so many people into that kind of a situation is gone is going to be a very serious and difficult security situation at the best and uh i mean i was I, i've read something recently and maybe someone else has seen it too but there's some talk about a group of women called black widows who are the widows of of uh Islamicists who have been killed in some of the religious wars in the Middle East, and they have uh, they have dedicated themselves to get into the uh, security system, get through the security system at the Olympics, and uh, blow themselves and other people up. That's yeah, been update, stories on the news just the last day or so, and it's a it's a pretty scary thing. I mean, uh, things well, like that are enough to scare anybody, and it's. It's uh, it's going to be a very difficult situation for the Russians uh, because they've got to have the game succeed, but they also have to have a lot of security, and a lot of security is going to be reported as in some places as you know overly uh, Russian type, heavy-handed, it, it, you know that kind of thing, and it's it's going to be very difficult in the next two weeks uh, when it starts to to have a, something going on for as long as two weeks in a, as many venues as there are in the Winter Olympics and trying to protect people in all those venues, and uh, it's going to be a real, real project. And, Bob, let me, let me provide some background on, on what you, the points that you were bringing up. Obviously, Sochi is literally almost in the heart of the contested Chechnya section of the Baltic Republic there. Uh, Chechnya is largely Muslim. Uh, there are sectors of Islamic extremists that are down there. The Russian Osama bin Laden, as he's being called in several newspapers, is headquartered in the region. You're talking about the Black Widows. There are apparently, according to several sources, uh, four Islamic extremist women who are the widows of Chechen rebels and Chechen extremists who were taken out, for lack of a better term, by uh, Russian security forces. Uh, they have vowed to avenge their husband's death. Uh, at last count, or at last reports, there are apparently as little as one, as many as three of these so-called black widows inside the security perimeter inside Sochi, which has got Vladimir Putin and Prime Minister Medvedev very, very concerned. Uh, Denise Krepp, when we look at the security, obviously the U.S. Olympic Committee has got a very sensitive and delicate situation here. Obviously, we, we, we can't not go, and we're literally putting our faith into Russian security forces, and hopefully the Russian heavy hand will work. At the same time, uh, we've got to be concerned for the safety and security of our own Olympians. How do you think we're balancing this, or can we? Well, I, I think what they don't want is another Munich. They cannot have another Munich. So that, that, that's what everybody's keeping in mind, first and foremost. Uh, now, that being said, you've already seen attacks on the rail system. You've seen attacks on the mass transit system. Those were just a couple of weeks ago. They've proven that they can attack gatherings of large people. So with that in mind, and knowing that you don't want a Munich, I can guarantee you we're not just relying on the Russians to provide security for our own folks. We're going to be bringing our own folks in to make sure that we protect our own Olympians. The trick, however, is going to be is how do you transport these Olympians back and forth across all of these venues? 
And that's really where they're going to have to focus on, is, is the transportation aspect of it, but also the large gathering. You know about these three women, but what about the other ones you don't know about? And what security precautions can you and will you be able to take in place? There's going to be a lot of layers that they're going to have to work with. They're going to have to work with the Russians, but first and foremost, we're not going to rely solely on the Russians. We're going to bring our own in. Congressman uh, now, obviously, Denise brings up a very visual picture in, in you know, we can't afford another Munich. However, when we, do, when we look at this and we do see uh, some of the players involved, that's got to be at least the concern of a lot of folks on the Hill. How do you as a congressman or a former member of Congress view putting our people, for lack of a better term, in harm's way almost? Well, we're not making them go. This is not a case where we drafted them as our team and said, you've got to go over there. They don't have to go if they don't want to. Um, I think that the, the best we can do as a government is what we are doing, and that is trying to put the very best of our own security around them and uh, and uh, try and take care of them. So I, I think that's an individual judgment of the um, of the athletes. Bob Hines, does does Munich cause a problem? Also, you being the former vice president of NBC uh, for government affairs, you've been around several uh, or several of that organization's Olympic coverage. Is is that something that NBC is geared up for as anticipating the worst? Or is that something that, you know, they just don't even want to think about it? Oh, boy, they've been thinking about it. Trust me. <laughs> uh, they're doing everything they can, and I am sure that uh, that they will, tr you know, they'll be working closely with the security people because, obviously, they're trying to get all the pictures they can. And uh, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always tension. Uh, but, uh, you know, given the fact that, it is so. Um, it is so clear. Like in the past Olympics, where there's been some problems, or like in the Boston Marathon, you know, you've got the television there and you got the security there, and the television doesn't really pay much attention to security because, you know, they're watching the the sport. But this is a situation where, as as both uh, Denise and I have said, is a very dangerous place anyway in Russia, surrounded by very dangerous people on all sides. With, with, with an opportunity, with a, with a, this marvelous, big, wonderful international place, and they could really, really cause some trouble. It's just, it's just a made-for-a-disaster uh, if we're not very, very lucky and very careful. Uh, I would think that the networks will be very, very, uh, the network will be very careful uh, in being, uh, you know, in, in, in not getting not getting in dangerous places if they can avoid it. And they will be very careful in how they coverage stuff because it's obviously going to be extremely sensitive and there's going to be a lot of security and there's going to be probably t at times when the security appears to be uh, overzealous on something and, uh, and uh, they won't want to be, and the networks will probably be reluctant to, to cover that and embarrass, them, and embarrass the, the uh, uh the host country, but the, st the fact of the matter is, this is one of the most. Uh, this is not. 
like Munich, where we didn't expect any problems and didn't anticipate and had no reason to anticipate. This is a situation where we are holding the, the, the international sporting event of, of you know, this, this five-year period, let's say, in a place that is extremely dangerous uh, for reasons that have nothing to do with what's going to happen there in the sporting event, but it's going to be an opportunity for all kinds of of people who want to make statements to make statements that are being that could be very dangerous. Denise Crap. Uh, when I talked about no, Carl, hold on, Denise Crap. When I when I'm talking about security, I'd like to give people a flavor of, of what I'm talking about. I. When I was on the Hill, I, I had to travel with my boss to a couple of very interesting countries, and what we were given were uh, military folks that traveled with us with guns. These guys and gals slept outside of our hotel rooms, literally standing outside of our hotel rooms with guns, armed guns. When we were traveling, there were guns in front of us and there were guns behind us. That's the type of situation we're about to be putting our Olympic athletes into, and we're doing it because they want to represent the United States. But again, it's going to be a fine balance. They've made the decision to go, and we want to go because we want to make sure that we're showing the world the best and the brightest. But we will be doing so in the safest manner possible. Carl Tubin. Now, I think a, a, a little background, I think I'm right on this. Uh, Putin wanted the, the um, games in Sochi because he has a, evidently a winter place or summer place there uh, for some reason. And he, he, he wanted it there. Um, I didn't realize leading up to the Olympics that this was such a horrible, uh, such a bad, such a hot spot uh, in, in the Soviet Union. Um, you know, there's, if something happens, it's going to kill Russians, it's going to kill Americans, it's going to kill a lot of people. And, and all of a sudden the Olympic Committee is going to look at itself and say, why did we make this decision? Why did we put it there? Why, why did we put it in such a dangerous place? Uh, I hope, I hope, pray, I pray God that nothing happens and it all comes out beautifully and, and like other Olympics have, uh, you know, opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, that everything goes smoothly. But I really think, unfortunately, that the Olympic Committee has taken a real chance by even putting the Olympics in that spot there are other places in Russia which are a lot safer than the place where, where everyone is going. Carl, we got a caller. Let's go to the caller. Caller in the 856, you're on the air with Backroom Politics. What's your question? Hi, how you doing? Do you think the uh, Chris Christie Bridge incident will uh, sort of affect his fat ass? Ah, uh, good call. No, 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 no. Caller, what do you mean by that? Uh, caller hung up. You know, I love those callers because when they call in, you know, they never <laughs> want to continue the discussion. Bunch of wussies. Wow. Hey, uh, going back to, uh, going back to uh, um, the Sochi Olympics here, when we talk about uh, the risk that's being taken, I mean, literally, Vladimir Putin has gone all in on placing the Olympics at Sochi, and I have to believe that the, the International Olympic Committee has kind of gone all in in allowing Russia to hold it in Sochi, which is literally deep in the heart of Chechnya. Uh, Bob Hines, is, is, is that the only risk that everybody's looking at? I mean, because this could backfire and disrupt the whole possible Olympic system 
as we know it for decades to come. Uh, well, Justin, as I said uh, earlier on, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, this could be – there are so many aggravated groups <laughs> within 500 miles of Sochi in the Middle East, at, at crossing borders that are loose and in mountainous areas that are difficult to, to, to control. And, you know, it's just – it's a very dangerous part of the world, one of the most dangerous parts of the world you can imagine. And uh, you're going to have uh, famous people, famous athletes, celebrities, politicians, all kinds of people going to be there, as, as well as the general public, uh, going to the Winter Olympics. And it could be a very, very, very uh, tense couple of two weeks, I guess two, what, 20 days, I guess, about of, of Olympics. It could be awfully, awfully difficult for the security to be able to stay on top of its game is as, as, as difficult as it's going to be. It, I mean, I, we could all, as, as, as Carl said, we could all hope and pray that everything goes well, but, uh, you know, you, ha you, you, you just have to hold your breath. That means crap. Or if you're Machiavellian enough and something does happen, this gives Putin the ability to go in and squash whatever happens. I mean, he's taken a lot of... He got himself into trouble with what happened with Chechnya and a couple other places. People were saying you were rough, you were overbearing, you, you know, murdered people unnecessarily. And so he got a lot of bad press for it. But if something happens, he now has free reign to go in there and do whatever he wants to do because people are going to say, you need to solve this problem now. Well, Congressman Al, I mean, obviously the White House is going to be kind of playing both sides of the fence. You've got a situation where the White House is saying, look, you know, Internal Russian dirty laundry, that's yours. But at the same time, the U.S. is going to be offering up their assistance. Uh, and at the same time, they're also going to be saying, hey, look, this is on you guys. We're just going to sit back and watch. Well, what else can they do? Uh, it seems to me that your, your alternatives are to not go, uh, just to keep uh, our team from going. Jimmy Carter did that, uh, didn't make any friends doing that. Uh, it was a different situation, but still, uh, you know, these people really want to go. Uh, so if you let them go, then you have to assure that you're going to have good security. And uh, we apparently got excellent security. Uh, what more we can do, I don't know. I think what uh, Denise points out that, that uh, you know, there may be some opportunity for Putin to uh, get make a few points here and there. I don't think, you know, th that that's a reason we can put a stop to it. Right. Well, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's happening on the Hill. We're going to change. Uh, we're going to change speeds here a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, the latest dropouts of Congress, uh, the latest news, and how this may or may not be good thing for Washington, D.C. and the nation. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, a snow-covered Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You know, you hear us talk about Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's being the place to be. America's premier cigar tavern, place to make new friends or visit old friends or even have a lively political discussion like we do here on Backroom Politics. But what you may not know 
Shelly's is the place for private parties. Shelly's Back Room is available to host events for groups of 10 to 250. From cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners, Shelly's can provide custom menu options to suit your needs and budget. Although Shelly's is a smoke-friendly environment, Shelly's can make accommodations for non-smokers based on the side of your party, but heck, why would you want to? With a cigar menu like they have here, why would you even consider going smoke-free? Event pricing varies based on the time of the day of the week chosen for your event. For more information on private parties at Shelly's Back Room, go to www.shellysbackroom.com slash private dash party. Shelly's Back Room, the place to be, as Bob likes to say it. It's also a place for private parties. Capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, this is our final segment, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the latest departure announcements from Congress. Uh, the latest one happening today was uh, Senator David Vitter, who is the Democratic Senator from yeah, the great Republican. state of Louisiana. Easy, Denise. Easy. Republican. He's not Democrat. Uh, what did I say? Democratic? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Republican. I'm sorry. Republican. <laughs> Republican Senator out of Louisiana. My bad. Uh, has announced that he is going to step down as the senator of the great state of Louisiana to run for governor in 2015. Uh, this follows another major Republican announcement, and that was Dr. Tom Coburn, the senior senator uh, from the great state of Oklahoma, has announced that he will be leaving this year after this congressional term ends. Uh, this is just a long line of, of senators and representatives. Many of them have multiple, even some instances, double-digit terms in Congress. Now, the question begs, and Congressman Al, I want to go to you. You know, we, we, talk, we look at all of these people that are now announcing they're leaving for greener pastures. Uh, Tom Coburn mentioned his health and being close to his family. Uh, you know, David Vitter is, in fact, running for governor. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for Congress, and is it a good thing or a bad thing for the country? Well, people always seem to get concerned that there isn't any gestation in Congress, and so we have term limits and all kinds of things uh, uh, that are, are proposed to solve the problem. Uh, I would look at this and say, look, the problem solving itself. <clears throat> of course, 
when you lose somebody who has been effective and key, it weakens the Congress a little bit, but then you're bringing in some people that are going to be. Some of the people that are now retiring were freshmen when I was in Congress, and they were they were wet behind the ears, and uh, nobody knew what their uh, what their potential was, and they turned out to be you know very strong members of the Congress. So I'm I don't think the turnover is anything to be excited about. A lack of turnover would be uh, more of a concern, and that that gets us into the whole issue of uh, redistricting and what have you, which uh, is a separate issue. But Bob Hines, you know, if the latest freshman class and sophomore classes in both chambers are any indication, uh, it seems we've gotten more extreme on both sides of the aisle. That doesn't necessarily scream support for losing key people like a a Coburn uh, or um, out of uh, a Luger or somebody of that ilk. Well, uh, I, I think it's it's fair to say that the um, whatever has caused the difficulties in the Congress getting along and, and negotiating and getting bills passed, however you want to debate the, you know, how that is caused or why it happened, I think that is, in effect, one of the reasons why there, is, there are more than a dozen House members of each party who are retiring this year, and some of them very senior and very, very significant uh, people. Uh, and uh, it's happening, I think, because they're frustrated uh, and uh, because they don't feel that, that, that it's worth going through these, you know, these, these disastrous debates and everybody yelling at each other and nothing getting done. I think, I think that is, is one of the reasons that some significantly uh, senior people and significantly uh, important people for the, it, within, the, within the two bodies and within the two parties are retiring. Significant people are retiring, and I think it's because of, of, of a lot of it is because some of it is because they're getting older, but a lot of it is because they're getting frustrated and don't want to stay around anymore. I, I think you, you point to, to Norm Dix, for example, who was uh, uh, a very senior member and who would, if the Democrats uh, took over uh, next time, uh, would be chairman of armed services, uh, of the armed services, uh, excuse me, chairman of appropriations, and. Uh, and uh, if not, he'd be the ranking on, on appropriations. And somebody suggested to me, he said, either way, whether the Democrats take over or the Republicans take over, if they continue in the current process, nothing is going to be done. And a Norm Dix is somebody who can't stand being around doing nothing. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that counts to George Miller as well. Well, you know, Al, I think that uh, there's an interesting article in the in the uh, paper this morning, the, Wall, the, the uh, journal, the Post, I'm sorry, that I've been looking at, and uh, it, it, it makes the point that you're talking about. There are two people who are not in any, say, public figures. One of them is Tom Latham, and the other one is George Miller that, that, that uh, Al just mentioned. George Miller is probably Nancy Pelosi's closest and most uh, influential uh, confidant in the House of Representatives. And uh, right. Tom Latham is the same in the same position, again, without any, uh, not any authority in, in, the, in, the, in the leadership line, but the same re close relationship he has with John Boehner, the Speaker. 
And these two men, I don't know why they're leaving, but, I mean, I cannot doubt that both of them have been there a long time. Both of them have been very close to leadership. They've seen the frustration. They feel it. They feel it in their bones, and they're just sick and tired of it, and they, they don't want to do it anymore. And I think we're losing some very good people, and uh, it's unfortunate. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just the way it's going to be. But, you know, but, but Congressman Al and Bob and, and, and Denise and Carl, you know, when we look at those people that are leaving, we're losing a lot of good, uh, even in many instances, bipartisanship, gray beard knowledge to, you know, either frustration or just plain old retirement. Uh, but we're also seeing those coming in, uh, those who are going to replace them. We're seeing a trend of more and more lobbyists wanting to get into the congressional space. We saw it with Terry McAuliffe becoming governor of, uh, of uh, Virginia. Uh, we see... Uh, a, uh, an opponent, a Republican opponent, to uh, Senator Mark Warner, who is the former chairman of the RNC. We see it in Bill Young's seat, where we have a former federal and state lobbyist, uh, uh, Jolly, who's running for Congress, and he was a huge lobbyist. Are, are we going to see more and more? Is this a scary trend that we need to be cognizant of? The, the lobbyists, the power brokers, the money brokers, becoming the elected officials? I wouldn't say so. And Denise Krepp, why? Because oftentimes the lobbyists have a great deal of knowledge, and, and they understand a lot of these issues better than other people do. So just because you've got an L next to your name, by the way, I do, doesn't mean that you should be feared. I'd actually say some of these lobbyists should be welcomed and say, hey, what do you know about this, and how do we improve this? I mean, they have a lot of good ideas. Bob Hines? Well, I agree with Denise. I mean, I, you, you wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I think the reality is that people who have spent time around Congress in positions of, of being lobbyists or uh, resources or anything else uh, can, bring, can bring some help to the Congress. And since they, are, they have been in the business of trying to solve problems, they may help the problem-solving ability of the Congress, which maybe they will be able to help uh, get people to negotiate, would certainly be a, a, a much improved Congress if the appropriations process worked the way it should, if the committee process worked the way it should, writing bills, doing the work that they're supposed to be doing instead of just fighting it out on the floor and, and making speeches. It could be a big. It could be an improvement. I wouldn't want to see 350 lobbyists in Congress, but. I'm, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a few at all. I, Congressman I don't Al, think that. Carl, hold on. Congressman Al, as a as a former staffer who ended up running and winning and serving twelve terms as a member of Congress, uh, you know, we always kind of assumed that senior members of staff were, uh, in some instances, a good choice for seceding their bosses, as you did in Washington too. Uh, is that trend similar for lobbyists, in your opinion? I think it, I, I don't think it's the same. Uh, in, in fact, it's uh, it, it's fairly hard to get elected uh, from a staff position. You know, it uh, there's a there's a resentment somehow that you're taking an unfair advantage uh, of it. I don't I've never understood it exactly, but it's there. Uh, I, 
I think uh, if if a lobbyist can overcome or explain why being a lobbyist isn't making him a bad guy, I think a lobbyist uh, would be uh, a good choice. Carl Tubin. Yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think there's much to worry about that. A lot of lobbyists are going to go back home and 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 run for uh, a seat in the uh, House or the Senate. It might happen on a, on a few occasions as it's happened. We've had this before. The governor, former governor of Mississippi was a big lobbyist here, went home, uh, ran for governor, served his two terms, and now is back in Washington. But, you know, but the further you get away from Washington, I think the harder that is. Uh, uh, the Democrats are, have set up a, a, uh, uh, a group in, in, the D, in the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, to look, start to look for people to fill these spots, and also uh, uh, spots that the Republicans are, are uh, abandoning and are leaving, and uh, try to pick people that uh, you know that will be good candidates in those areas. Uh, it, this could be very exciting. It, it, it's going to make, I think, it's going to uh, turn the the Congress into a toss-up as to as Democrats versus Republicans, but. You know where the Democrats might have had the advantage several months ago. Uh, that might not be true, and the Democrats are just going to have to to fight it out, as are the Republicans, to see who wins the House and the Senate. But, but Denise, but Denise Krupp, you know, when we look at you know these openings and we're losing all this expertise in being able to make deals in Congress, uh, does that put an added burden on staff to help try and get? You know, when we look at uh, some of the people that are coming in who have never served in Congress before, does that put an additional st- uh, burden on staff? And are we creating a situation by losing all this experience where staff has more power than they really should? Well, first, staff has always had a great deal of power. They're the ones that are doing a lot of the negotiations of those bills. So, mm-hmm. yes, inherently they do have that. But you always have turnover, as Congressman Al says. And you always have new members coming in. You have always new members coming out. And, you know, new blood helps the process. Am I concerned about some of the members we're losing? Absolutely. But am I also excited about others coming in? Absolutely. Because we do need new blood. We need new ideas to solve some of the problems. If we had solved all these problems, we wouldn't be where we are. Clearly, we need some new ideas. So let's see what they have. You see, I've I, I got to jump in real quick because, you know, I look at all this, and I look at the people that we're, that we're losing, uh, and you know, I think back to you know, had we had Delaware elected in Mike Castle, uh, had a Bob Bennett been able to stay in the Senate, and I look at you know some of the problems that we've experienced over the past four to or two to four years in Congress could have been offset by keeping that experience in Congress without going to the absolute fringe. And that's what we're seeing is that fringe movement moving in to garner in certain situations like Virginia, in certain situations like Oklahoma, in certain situations like Utah, and even in some obscure situations like what we saw in Delaware and what we've seen in a couple instances in places like Ohio, Illinois, and Kentucky. Uh, Congressman Al, am, am I out in left field with that concern? I 
you got to look at this at least three ways. Uh, what would a political scientist say to that? I would, I would suspect a political scientist would God say... Because God knows we're not political scientists. I know that, but I think they would say there is nothing to worry about, uh, a little turnover, maybe a little more would even be more helpful. Uh, then there's what congressmen would say, and that is... Uh, uh, they're going to be more interested in protecting their seats and uh, probably be bringing their hands a little bit more over the number that are leaving. Uh, and then there's the public. And the public, I think, at the present time wouldn't be disappointed if all 435 House members and 100 senators were to go away. So uh, it depends on your perspective, I guess. And it depends on how much you know about how government works. Those that would do away with everybody, throw all the rascals out, clearly have no understanding of, of what a disaster that would be. But uh, that's that, that's the feeling out there in the country right now. But but Bob Hines, you know, this also gives way to is this an opportunity for those who who uh, who promote the idea? of term limits or redistricting, is this their opportunity now to say, hey, look, let's jump on this opportunity while we have it because we may not have the outflow of all of this experience again. We literally could start with a clean slate. Well, first of all, term limits is a bad idea uh, if you do it by legislation. If you want to term limit somebody, you don't vote for them. And quite frankly, the idea that when Congress, as is, is, is it is today, is getting about a 10 or 12 percent approval rating, and yet 95 percent of the people running for office re-election win, it tells you something that, you know, the voters are not paying enough attention to what's going on. That may just be reality, but it's unfortunate, and it's, uh, it ain't going to change. Uh, with respect to redistricting, I think we, we don't want to talk about that. That could go on forever. And it's, it's probably the biggest problem. We, we, need to, we need to do a better job of making compact and contiguous districts, and we're not going to solve that problem on this conversation. Justin? But, Justin? Go ahead, Carl. Go ahead, Carl. The, 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 the big problem with term limits is you talk about losing people who have experience. You know, within a few years, you won't have any institutional memory. I mean, they're going to lose some of these people today, but there are people in the Congress today who have an institutional memory and can help move things along. Uh, although you might say in the last few years, the institutional memory isn't very, isn't, hasn't been very bright. But you need, the, you need people in Congress who know what's going on so they can help and explain it to other people who are coming in. And that's that. That's why I hate. I don't, I don't even like to think about term limits and what it would do to our government. Well, let me go around the table and say, as far as those who have announced officially that they are departing for greener pastures or spend time with their family or for whatever reason, uh, let me go around the horn. What's the biggest loss so far of the announcements that they're leaving Congress, in your opinion? Uh, Bob Hines, let me start with you. Who's the biggest loss? Um, well, then, I, this is what I was going to talk about in uh, Tell Me a Story, but I'll tell you now. Two people right, well, that are leaving. No, no, no. no it's okay. okay. I'll, do it now. I'll do it now. But Tom Latham, a Republican, and George Miller, 
a Democrat, two senior members, they hold no official titles, but they are the, probably, in each case, Miller with Ms. Pelosi and Latham with the Speaker, John Boehner. They are the closest friends of the two leadership people, and they are eyes and ears type of people. They don't hold any official jobs in the party, but they are the guys who are sitting down next to people in the floor of the House and talking to them in committees. What do you think about this? How do you feel about that? They're the people, those two people, are going to be the, maybe the biggest losses in the House. They'll be un, not understood because they don't hold a big job. But they're the people who whisper in the ear of the leadership, the speaker and the minority leader, and say what's going on among the troops. What's the, what's the going on over here? How does this group feel? How does that group feel? And that is going to be a big loss, a big, big loss for the leadership of both of the parties in the House, and it's, 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 just, it's just going to be a problem, period. We need people like that who the speaker and the leadership have trust with and want to know what's going on, and these people talking among themselves with all the other folks around them, these are the guys and the gals who whisper in the leadership's ear and say, this is what's happening in the, in the caucus. This is what our people are thinking about or what they don't like. And it, it's, it's, the, it's the early warning system that may break down, and that's unfortunate. Congressman Al, who's the biggest loss of those announcing so far? I think given the reality that you're going to lose some people, I don't think any of these are going to uh, hurt the, uh, the body uh, very significantly. Uh, a few years ago, I might have said Dave Obey. Uh, certainly, one day we'll say John Dingle. But uh, I, I don't see of these passing. Not that they're not good congressmen, but uh, you, you, you lose some strength occasionally, and uh, you rebuild it. And I don't think it's anything to get uh, all excited about. Carl Tubman. Um, I would say <clears throat> Senator Carl Levin. Uh, Carl Levin has has won the the uh, Armed Services Senate Armed Services Committee in a very very decent way. He is also when when asked to, he was also um, helpful in pairing back the military, but doing it in a safe and sane way. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be a big loss uh, for for the uh, Armed Services Committee and and the uh, Senate. The crap. Miller and Vitter from the Maritime Perspective. They've both been strong proponents of the maritime industry, and uh, they'll be sadly missed. Uh, okay. Well, that's going to lead us into our favorite part of the show. It's my part of the show that I call Tell Me a Story, where we talk about the latest innuendo, buzz, rumor flying around the Beltway, inside and out. Uh, I'm going to start with Denise Krep because she showed up today. Denise Krep, tell me a story. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you for those of you with children, I'm going to give you some information about two competitions that your children are eligible for. First, there is a, uh, a scholarship that's sponsored by the, uh, the Society for the Four Chaplains. It was the four chaplains, two uh, ministers, a Catholic priest and a Jewish rabbi who went down um, on the Dorchester. And there is a writing competition for children between the ages of ninth and 12th grade. If you're interested, you should go to the Chapel of the Four Chaplains and the Competition ends March the 15th, so look for that. But again, it's a nice scholarship for children. 
The second uh, story I want to talk to you about is there is a new Youth Preparedness Council that FEMA is sponsoring. And again, focused on children. Applications are due February the 24th, but it's a great way for kids to get involved in the process. So if your children want to get involved in preparedness, talk to them about it and send them to the FEMA website. Very good. Bob Hines, tell me a story. Well, I've already told you my story. Mr. Latham with Mr. Ba with Mr. Boehner and Mr. Miller uh, leaving uh, from Ms. Pelosi are the two biggest losses, I think, in the House of Representatives, and they will, they will definitely be missed by the leadership because they won't have their, their favorite eyes and ears person around. It'll be a loss. Very good. Congressman Al, tell me a story. I haven't heard any rumor to this effect, but just as I observe her, she's beginning to look more and more tired. I am a little concerned, and I would not be happy about this at all, but I'm a little concerned that Patty Murray may be thinking of retiring. Wow. Can you can you call and get confirmation on that? That would be a great breaking story. <laughs> and if you think she'd tell me, I don't think she'd tell me. She loves you. What are you talking about? Senator Patty Murray loves well, Congressman Alex Smith. I know, but me? that's the kind of thing you tell when you're ready to tell it. So maybe Al should run for her seat if she retires. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. Uh, okay. Uh, Carl, tell me a story. Yes, um, there's been several stories in the paper uh, with regard to the Mideast, what else is new, and the, uh, and the talks. Um, uh, Abbas has said that if we don't reach an agreement by the uh, date that the United States and on all the people have set, that uh, he's going to go back to the U.N. and try to get a uh, Palestinian state through that vehicle. Um, uh, Netanyahu is, is kind of getting frustrated. Um, he, he sees all these countries around him that are in turmoil, uh, doesn't think that he can get the uh, security agreements that he needs to keep Israel safe. Um, and he, he's talking about a, a comment that, uh, uh, the late Ariel Sharon talked about, and that is putting a moat around Israel and making it uh, making it uh, secure and safe by that. And it, it's uh, with the uh, fence and and walls that they built and and other other situations. Uh, John Kerry is has done a great deal in bringing all of these people together. I I pray to God sincerely that uh, he's able to, to go back to the uh, uh, talks when they, they begin again and, all, and bring all these people together to have some sort of a, uh, an outcome and that this whole thing doesn't break down again as it has in the past. Good story. Uh, so here is the trick. Uh, also, uh, kind of following off, we were talking about Tom Coburn retiring. Uh, the good senator from Oklahoma, Jim Langford has already announced that he will be seeking the seat being vacated by the good doctor from Muskogee. Do not be surprised if this does not turn out to be 
a four or five way race with some of the state folks taking a look at it. Rumor is Cole Tom Cole has already said he will not be seeking it. He likes his position in the House. Do not be surprised if we see some old names resurfacing. Uh, more to follow. We're, we're chasing down some possible breaking stories, but anticipate at least four Republicans that are going to be running for Tom Cole's vacant seat, and that includes uh, the Congressman Jim Langford, uh, who, who, who I personally like. He's a little bit of right of center for me, but uh, still, keep an eye on that race because that's going to have huge political ramifications going down the road. With that being said, uh, on behalf, oh, by the way, I have to include this. Uh, thanks to our producer, uh, Brent Sullivan. Brent, if you're listening, great job. We'll have you call in next week and introduce you to everybody out there. But from, uh, from an operational standpoint, everybody will be here next week live, correct, folks? Yes. 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 So, out there on Radio Line, we will be here live, again, from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital. Bob? The place to be, even on a snowy day. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. I was going to say, apparently for you, it's not. Uh, on behalf of Congressman <laughs> Carlson and Bob I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week, 4 o'clock Eastern Time, here on Blog Talk Radio 4. The best talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.